You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Haley Dans is a six-time paratriathlon world championship medalist and won a silver medal at the 2016 Games in Rio. She is a Team Hartford athlete and has had the opportunity to be part of presenting adaptive sports equipment through the Hartford's Ability Equip program in partnership with Move United to deserving athletes over the past couple of years. Haley will also be a special guest at Move United Junior Nationals presented by the Hartford, which takes place July 17th through 23rd in the Metro Denver area. Haley, thank you for joining me today. Uh, thank you for having me. So we are really excited that you will be joining us at uh, Move United Junior Nationals presented by the Hartford um, next week. And so I wanted to just uh, chat with you a little bit about um, your your journey and uh, um, and your experience in adaptive sports. I know that uh, at 12 years old, you were, were diagnosed with osteosarcoma and and for those that may not be familiar with it, what is that? Uh, that's a type of bone cancer um, that usually affects kids uh, around that age, uh, you know, kind of the developing years. And um, and is it pretty common or what, what, what would you say is? The... So, I mean, yeah, with in the scheme of childhood cancers, it's actually one of the more common ones. Um, of course, still very rare. Um, just amongst the general population, but yeah, it was one of the more commonly treated cancers uh, where I was treated in Wisconsin Children's Hospital. Yeah, and I know, I know, a couple of years uh, after your diagnosis, you know, you you made the difficult decision to have uh, your legs amputated. Um, take me through that decision-making process, and and why did you come to that decision? Yeah, so. Uh, with the type of cancer that I had, uh, it was located in my tibia and in order to remove the cancer, it required a pretty, pretty invasive reconstructive surgery. Um, and so that was successful in that it put my cancer into remission, but it left me with a leg that was pretty much functionless. Um, I wasn't able to bend my knee, wasn't able to weight bear. So I was getting around on crutches and, uh, you know, my, my quality of life with that leg was just, it was lower than I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very active in sports growing up and I really wanted to get back to sports and, you know, kind of reconnect with that part of who I was. And so, you know, I was able to go to a camp for kids with cancer where I was able to see kids getting around on prosthetics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it kind of opened up my eyes and made me realize that, you know, an amputation absolutely wasn't the end of the world and that mm-hmm. it could actually make my life even more fulfilling, even uh, even better. So that kind of gave me the the strength and the resolve to go through with the decision to have my left leg amputated. Um, ended up being an above the knee amputation that I went through with. Uh, just a couple of weeks into my freshman year of high school. And it was absolutely the best decision I could have made. Um, you know, I remember waking up from that surgery and just feeling like this weight had been lifted and feeling like 
you know, I could just get back to the things that I loved so much um, and kind of main or resume that active lifestyle that I missed. Yeah. And, and I know that uh, you mentioned that, that sports were important to you before your, before you had your leg amputated. And, and so that camp was, was, was critical for the, the psyche, right. And for the mental mm-hmm. and emotional state in terms of, you know, yes, this is something I can still do. I, I, yeah. I can do hopefully everything that I, that I did before maybe better or, or then some. Absolutely. I mean, I think before I went to that camp and I was able to see other kids, um, you know, I kind of thought that that part of my life was over. Uh, and that was really hard because I did identify so strongly as being an athlete and, uh, you know, I, w- I felt like I was kind of grieving that, that loss of myself mm-hmm. right around the time that I did get to go to that camp. And then, you know, when I met these kids and it just opened up my world, uh, you know, yeah, it just kind of made me realize like, this doesn't have to be over. Like this is, this is something that's important to you. You can still do it. Um, and it's going to look a bit, little bit different and it's going to require, uh, you know, a lot more effort and a lot more people to, to kind of help you out along the way, but it's certainly possible. And as far as I was concerned, it was something that was worth the extra effort. And, and how quickly or how soon after, uh, your surgery, did you get back into sports? Well, um, I actually, uh, learned how to downhill ski just four months after my amputation. Um, and I hadn't downhill skied before I lost my leg. And so that was actually really cool because, you know, I was learning it for the first time anyway, I fell down Mm -hmm. a lot, but I figured that was just part of learning how to ski regardless of how many legs you had. (laughs) Indeed. Um, indeed. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So, you know, that, that experience I think even more so than just going to camp and, you know, seeing what was possible. When I learned how to ski, I actually felt what was possible. Um, And that was really the first time that I felt like an athlete again. And I just missed feeling that way so much, you know, like I, I like feeling strong. I like feeling like I can do things. Um, And so yeah, just learn, learning how to ski. Um, I think, you know, downhill skiing is always going to kind of be my my first love uh, just because it did really open me up to the world of possibilities in, in adaptive sports. Um, so, you know, I did that early on. In high school, I kind of dabbled in some other sports that I hadn't done prior to my amputation. So, um, I played tennis for a couple of years in high school. Uh, I did end up skiing on my high school's uh, ski racing team. Hmm. Um, but I never really found that thing that I really clicked with. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, prior to losing my leg, uh, basketball and volleyball were kind of my, my, my games. Um, and those sports just weren't really the same to do on one leg. You know, um, I just couldn't keep up with my peers the way that I once had. And that was always a little bit disheartening for me. Um, which I think is why I gravitated towards these sports that were new, um, because I didn't really have anything to compare myself to. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, things really turned around for me when I, when I got to college and discovered triathlon, that was when, uh, you know, really set my heart on fire. And I found that thing that I just absolutely loved. 
And, and, you know, one of the things that you said is in terms of that resonated with me, and, and I think it's critical to share with, with you know, as, as, as many folks as possible that, that experience a life changing or life altering event that, for, you know, as you said, four months after your surgery, you were, you were uh, actively engaged in sports and, and recreation. And, and, uh, and I think it's critical to just say, just one, just get out and do it. And, and, um, and then the, the, the fact that it was only four months. Right. And, and sometimes yeah, yeah. I think, I think we all have this mental thing about, uh, you know, it might take me years to recover. Or it might take me, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this long t- time frame. And so the fact that that was just four months is, is just remarkable. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, I think I've always kind of felt like it's best to just jump right in you know, because it's always going to be scary and it's always going to feel like a risk. Um, but yeah, I guess I just, I feel like if you kind of just jump in and almost don't even give yourself to over, give yourself time to overthink all of the possibilities. Um, I think the body surprises, I think it often surprises people, you know, and sometimes it takes longer for the mind to catch up. Um, and so, Mm -hmm. yeah, if you can just like, not think about it too much and just give it a try. Uh, I think more often than not, you're going to surprise yourself. And, and the other thing you mentioned, of course, was of course uh, triathlon. And, and I wanted to ask how how were you introduced yeah. to that sport to begin with? Yeah, uh, it's kind of a wild story. <laughs> um, so I was um, I was a sophomore in college and was just kind of looking at different summer internship opportunities. And uh, I came across an adaptive sports organization in Chicago where I was living. Um, And I met with the program director there, Carrie Sirota. Mm -hmm. uh, And she had just started a little side project called Dare to Try. It was the first paratriathlon club in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point, paratriathlon was a brand new sport. Uh, just kind of getting off the ground. So, you know, I met with Carrie and she was telling me all about Dare to Try. Um, And at the end of the interview, she said, all right, I'll hire you as my intern. But if I do, you're going to have to do a triathlon this summer. (laughs) Yeah. Which is the reaction that I had. Like, (laughs) this is ridiculous. But, you know, a triathlon was always kind of one of those things that I'd always wanted to do, but never actually thought that I would because there's just so many barriers. Right. Um, but Carrie just kind of took all those barriers away from me and was like, you know, we're gonna, we'll set you up with, uh, all the right equipment. We'll loan you a bike. We'll, you know, find a person who can make you a running leg. You'll get coaches and teammates and like every barrier that you could possibly imagine. It's gone. We're going to make it happen. Um, and so I was all in, you know, to me, it sounded just like such an exciting opportunity. And, you know, again, I was, I was really itching to get back to, to sports. And even though I had kind of dabbled in some stuff, um, you know, I I hadn't really just found that, that passion. And I kind of thought to myself that this could be, this could be that thing. And I just remember leaving that interview feeling like, (laughs) my world was about to change and I couldn't have been more right. (laughs) Um, you know, overnight, I feel like it just, it just opened up my world in such a big way. Um, just getting involved in the dare to try community 
um, you know, I was able to get fit for a running leg and learn how to run again for the first time in eight years, um, which was, you know, definitely, a, a process, not mm-hmm. an easy one. Um, but I had so many amazing mentors along the way who really, uh, again, were also amputees and kind of showed me that, you know, if they could do it, I certainly could do it too. So, um, yeah, that was all the way back in 2011. It's wild for me to think that it's been 10 years since I've been doing this because That's right. part of me still feels Ten like, <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just getting my start, but, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of the story. I, uh, I think that originally when I got into it, it was the community of people mm-hmm. that really drew me in. And that was, uh, you know, why I kept showing up. Um, but then I crossed my first finish line in that summer of 2011 and that just fundamentally changed the way that I saw myself. You know, I think up until that point, I identified so strongly as being a cancer survivor and an amputee. And, you know, when I finished that first race, I became a triathlete and that was a label that I took a lot of confidence and a lot of empowerment from And I feel like it just carried over into every other aspect of my life. Um, You know, just realizing like, yeah, if I can do a triathlon, which most people who are fully able-bodied don't even attempt to do, like there's no limit to what I can do. Right. Absolutely. And, and what, and that internship though was with Glassa, right? Cause Carrie was with, that's correct. Which both great lakes adaptive sports and dare to try are, two fabulous move united organizations first of all in the chicago area so but you can't go wrong with either one which is great <laughs> totally both doing awesome work and and then prior, so prior to that did you have any did you have experience in swimming or running or biking or any of the, any of those three zero <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean i um you know i grew up riding my bike as kids do and like being competent in the water um but no, as far as formal training goes, I started it all, uh, when I was 20. So I think, you know, the swim was definitely the most challenging to pick up just Mm -hmm. not having that competitive swim background. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's taken me probably this entire decade to get to a point where I feel like I'm, you know, strong in the water, uh, just because it is such a technical, technical sport. Um, And, you know, the bike I actually picked up pretty quickly that I think came the most naturally to me. And even to this day, that's the thing that I'm, I'm the strongest at. Mm. And then, you know, the run, uh, that was definitely the steepest learning curve, just, you know, learning how to, to run on a prosthetic, Mm -hmm. especially after so much time away. Um, but it's the thing that I love the most. You know, even though I would consider myself stronger on the bike, uh, running is kind of the thing that I just kind of gravitate towards. You know, if I I have the day off and I have a choice of what I'm going to do, I'm probably always going to choose a run. So, uh, yeah, I, I love the the liberating aspect of of being able to run. Yeah, and I've talked to you know other runners who uh, that's that's one of the reasons why they why they do it just the freedom and the liberation mm-hmm. and the, and, yeah, and yeah. so so for those that just may not know, uh, do you wear a prosthetic during all three parts of the triathlon? I uh, I do not. Um, so um, the swim portion uh, in 
the type of racing that I do, you're not allowed to wear any kind of assistive device on the swim. Um, and so swim without anything. Uh, when mm-hmm. I come out of the water, I put on my running leg to get to the transition area, um, where I'll pick up my bike. Mm-hmm. And with that, uh, I actually just pedal with one leg. Um, I do have an affixment to, uh, to the bike that my residual limb goes inside of, mm-hmm. um, just so I'm able to get some leverage, but all of the pedaling is done just with my right leg. Um, and then yeah, on the run, I have uh, a blade and yeah, so that's really the only leg that I, that I use in the race. And, and so, um, I, I, you know, just for those that, that aren't familiar again, how does one cycle or swim with, with, with one leg? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, um, yeah, uh, either train differently or, you know, either overcompensate if you needed to, um, yeah, you know, I think with swimming, you'd actually be surprised at, um, how quickly the body just kind of finds its center of balance and, mm-hmm. and adapts, you know, obviously I'm only kicking with with one leg. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's my balance in the water is slightly off. It's definitely easier for me to breathe to one side than it is the other, um, possible, but, uh, I'm faster just breathing to one side, um, because of where my balance sits. But yeah, I think of anything swimming is a thing that, um, you know, you get into the water and, and the body kind of just figures it out. Um, there's not a whole lot of overcompensation that, that goes on. Um, and the bike is actually pretty similar. You know, I thought that the first time I got on a mm-hmm. bike with one leg that my balance was going to be so right. off. Um, but it was truly like riding a bike, even though I hadn't done it in years and years and years, I kind of got on and it just clicked and, uh, I remembered how to do it. So again, I think the body is is pretty incredible in how it is just able to adapt. Um, and you don't have to think about it too much. You know, it kind of just knows, you know, Oh, we're missing something here. Um, let's, let's figure out how to make it work. Um, so I don't think it took all that much conscious effort on my part, Hmm. which is cool. Yeah, that is cool. You mentioned that you got into it in 2011. So five years later, uh, it becomes a, a new Paralympic sport. And I know you've I know you've been asked this question a number of times, but what was what was it like being among the first group of athletes to compete in that sport at a Paralympic level? And then what was it like sweeping the podium with the United States? Yeah, wow. I mean, both incredibly, incredibly special privileges, I think. Um, you know, I I think what's so cool to me about being one of the first is that, you know, we kind of got to we got to establish the culture of our team. Um, you know, we were kind of the the founding members of it and we created this culture within paratriathlon that's really survived throughout the last, you know, 10 years. Um, and I think it's just, it's a culture that, you know, takes our work really seriously and, you know, like we show up ready to, to train hard and to perform in races, but we have so much fun along the way. Um, and I think at the end of the day, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We genuinely, uh, enjoy each other, um, and have a great time with each other. And I kind of think that's our secret weapon, you know, being able to balance the, the work and the fun, because, 
at the end of the day, the sport is too hard to do it if you're not having fun. <laughs> right. Um, and right. I think for the purpose of long longevity, um, you gotta be enjoying it. So yeah, I think what was really special about being a part of that first group of people was just that, you know, we got to be a part of, yeah, setting that precedent of, you know, this is kind of how we fly here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's been cool to see that kind of survive even throughout different changes of, of personnel over time. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think it, sweeping the podium is almost in the same vein. You know, I did it with these two women that I shared the entire journey with. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we had known each other for years. Uh, Melissa Stockwell was one of the people who did help me get into the sport. She was kind of my, one of my mentors that I mentioned. Um, you know, she was there the first time that I got on a bike. Um, she was there the first time that I ran down the hallway at my <laughs> prosthetist office and was the one who really showed me that like, this is something you can do. Um, so just given all of that history, um, you know, and just given how the three of us had talked about how cool it would be to, to pull that off. And, and then we did it. Um, it was just, it, it, it was pretty surreal. Um, and definitely one of the happiest moments of my life, you know, being able to share it with, with people that I'd gone through that entire journey with. And, and you mentioned training. So what, what is your training regimen like? Yeah, well, since Rio, I have relocated to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. um, they began a, a resident team out there in 2018. Um, and that has changed my training pretty dramatically. Uh, prior to that, you know, most of my stuff I had done on my own. Uh, we were all kind of scattered throughout the country doing our mm -hmm. own thing. And this program really brought the nation's best together. And so now we train in a, in a squad environment. Um, so we swim together five days a week, uh, bike and run. Um, you know, some of our sessions on are on our own and then others are, are in a group environment. Um, but I'll typically ride five to six days a week, run three to four days, and then another three days of strength training per week. Um, and that's all based out of the Olympic and Paralympic training center out there. Um, so, I mean, the days are long, they're intense. It's usually two to four workouts a day. Um, you know, and by the time you, uh, take a little bit of time to eat a meal and, you know, catch your breath in between it's, it's time for the next one. Um, it, so, right? you know, definitely, definitely a full-time thing. Um, but there's truly nothing else that I would rather be doing with my life. Um, you know, I love the group that we have. I love the training. I love the feeling of, you know, pushing my body every day, figuring out what my physical and mental limitations are um, and just constantly, you know, elevating that bar. I take so much fulfillment from that. Yeah. And, and I know that, um, your connection with Move United, besides the, the the local connections with Glass and Dare to Try, is is you are a, a Team Hartford athlete. What, what does it mean to you as an elite athlete to get you know that type of uh, of level of support? Yeah, I mean that the support has really made my career possible. You know, just kind of as I was as I was taking off before Rio, um, needing to make the decision of 
you know, whether I needed to, cause at the time I was working, um, in the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of needed to make the decision of like, if you want to perform in Rio, like you got to go all in. Um, and so, you know, just being able to make the decision to quit my job, um, knowing that I would be able to survive financially thanks to the Hartford, like that, that really made a big difference for me. Um, and, you know, I think now just the opportunities that the Hartford has provided me to be able to give back through Move United and the Ability Equipped program. Um, you know, I've been able to be a part of several donations, uh, mm-hmm. you know, giving equipment to the next generation of adaptive athletes. Um, and that's just been so cool for me because, you know, I did get my start in at the grassroots level through these local organizations. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, is something as simple as, you know, getting a bike to train on that really mm-hmm. transformed my life so much. And so just being able to help provide that to the next generation and, and see these kids worlds just open up the way that mine did. Um, it's, it's so cool just to kind of see everything come full circle like that. Yeah. And I think it also is a statement about, uh, you know, parody and sport as well too, because not only, uh, you know, companies like the Hartford and, and, and their support of, of, uh, you know, para athletes, but also, uh, you know, I know that, you know, you have representation, which is, which is really exciting in this movement, uh, you know, in terms of parity with uh, mm-hmm. other sports as well. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about just, I know, I know we've got ways to go still yet, but um, yeah. just in terms of your own lens and, and viewpoint, where do you see, how do you see how far things have come? And then, and then hopefully where, where do you see things going in, in maybe that direction? <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, since I've gotten involved in the sport, it has changed so much. Um, we've made so much progress. Um, you know, just the something as simple as, you know, encountering people on the street, like people, you know, used to say, oh, do you compete at the Olympics? And now people know what the Paralympics are and they'll say, oh, are you a Paralympian? Um, and just kind of yeah, getting the the Paralympic brand out there, I think that that's that's come a long way. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest steps that occurred in the last five years was um, equalizing the pay among Olympians and Paralympians at the games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, prior to that, Paralymp- Paralympians made a fraction of what the Olympians did on on a medal, um, and so achieving parity there, I think, is mm-hmm. is huge. Um, you know, I think that every quad, every, every Paralympic quad, the coverage gets a little bit better. The awareness gets a little better. Um, I, for one, am very hopeful that the, the home games in LA is going to really be the turning point for us. Um, just looking at every country that has recently hosted the Paralympics, you know, once they see it up close, like people realize just how cool it is. Um, and so, yeah, I really think that that's gonna gonna turn stuff around for us. Um, and I think my hope is that you know, just in the next seven years leading in, we're we're gonna continue to increase the coverage, increase the awareness, so that when we finally do host, like people are already gonna be all in. Yeah, and we're we've got a whole vision twenty twenty eight set around just that, making sure that uh, communities and 
programs are equipped and ready uh, to hopefully, um, you know, reach that, that a new level of yeah. of awareness and and participation and engagement because that's also uh, critical too. And, and, totally. And so I know that you'll be joining us next week in in the Denver area for for Junior Nationals. What are you looking forward to coming out uh, to that event uh, uh, with Team Hartford? Uh, what 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 are you looking forward to the most? I mean, I always just look forward to meeting new people, um, and you know. I think that's kind of events like this are, are the start of a lot of dreams for people, you know, um, and just being able to kind of see that unfold, I think is, is so mm-hmm. cool. Um, and yeah, just, just connecting with the next generation of athletes, um, and, and being a part of that, I think it's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. And you mentioned how important equipment is, and obviously adaptive sports equipment is, you know, four or five times uh, uh, more, more expensive often than yeah. maybe their counterparts. So it's just critical yeah. to have access to, to good equipment, either for training or, or for participation in sports. So, and thanks for, for helping us do that with the Hartford and oh, over, over the past, you know, a few times as well. And then I just, lastly, I want to, I want to, you know, from where you are now, what advice mm-hmm. would, uh, uh, a 2021 Haley Dan's give to a 12 or 14 year old Haley? Oh, I think, I think the advice that I would give would just be, I guess, just like to be open to possibilities, you know, um, I look at all of the, the opportunities that did come my way and, you know, I just, I jumped at them and, you know, I did that because I was, I was open to it. Um, you know, and I guess just realizing that like acquiring a disability, uh, it doesn't have to be the end of the road. And, you know, if there was a part of you that you feel like you've lost as a result of acquiring the disability, that, that doesn't need to be the case. And if you remain open to possibilities and you, and you go searching for them, um, surely there's going to be a way to, to reconnect with that. So, um, yeah, I think just, just being open, uh, being willing to, to take help from others. Um, because I do think that, uh, you know, as an athlete with a disability, you do have to rely on, on other people to kind of, to get in and make it work. Um, and so, you know, being willing to do that, um, yeah, that's all I got. (laughs) And and those are are two good pieces of advice that many of us need to remind ourselves to adhere to. So I think it's a great way to to uh, end our conversation. Haley, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure.